And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network is the audio destination for business professionals who seek the best education and inspiration on how to grow a business. HubSpot Podcast Network hosts act as on-demand mentors to entrepreneurs, startups, and scale-ups through practical tips and inspirational stories. Listen, learn, and grow with the HubSpot Podcast Network at hubspot.com slash podcast network. Today, I'm going to break down the story of Robinhood, the fintech company that just IPO'd and has billion dollar plus valuations. I'm going to walk you through their strategy for growth, how they took their product to market and how they evolved as a company. Some of the hurdles, some of the ethical and regulatory hurdles they went through on their rise to the top. This is a business case study. Today, we're going to talk about Robinhood and how Robinhood basically made investing easy and accessible for everyone, which in it is a feat in and of itself. But let's break down how they actually did it. So what I want to do is I want to talk about the industry. I want to talk about the status quo. I want to talk about the Robinhood story. I want to talk about the founders, their revolutionary business model. And then I'm going to talk about after I go through the whole story and we talk about how they've grown and how they've gone through ups and downs and highs and lows. And there's been some positive. There's been a lot of negative too. And then let's talk about where they are now and then I'm going to bring it all back with a really really smart viral take to market strategy that made all this happen. But first I want to I want to walk you through the story and then I'm going to show you what actually let them achieve such massive growth. So first let's talk about fintech, financial technology. Financial uh, technology or fintech is a rapidly expanding industry. We're talking about crypto, we're talking about Robinhood, we're talking about all these new financial vehicles and instruments and apps that are letting people approach finance differently. Fintech companies are focused on adapting their products according to the preferences of a younger generation and demographic. We're talking simplicity, user-friendliness, transparency. These are the guiding principles of fintech apps that just crush it. And a company that's been successfully doing this is Robinhood. Robinhood was one of the first. Now, there's a lot of fintech apps, but Robinhood was one of the first that really focused on these three guiding principles being the the things that get a younger generation excited about finance. Robinhood uh, is leading the modernization of investments because it offers everyone equal opportunity to participate in financial markets. And before Robinhood, it wasn't so easy. You had, there were a few options, but you could have some sort of uh, broker, you could go to a waterhouse, you could go to a variety of different places that would allow you to invest, but it definitely 
definitely wasn't as simple as picking up your phone, opening an app and investing from the comfort of your couch. There was steps to this. And also some of the ways that you could invest required a lot of capital. So some people wouldn't even talk to you unless you were investing X amount of dollars. So Robinhood is getting rid, disrupting that entire system, totally democratizing finance and investment vehicles. So let's talk about the founders. Let's talk about, let's go way, way, way back. So two Stanford graduates. I know it's kind of a little bit classic startup story, but anyways, two Stanford graduates, uh, Beju Bat, Vladimir Tenev, they founded the company. So following their experience in the in them trying to invest, they decided that they could do it better. And they started Robinhood uh, in Menlo Park, California. This is obviously a very, very popular uh, startup spot. So this is a little bit traditional. This is, you know, classic Silicon Valley. Uh, the name Robinhood was drawn from the fairy tale. In Robinhood, the fairy tale, you know, the main character's mission is to steal from the wealthy, give to the poor. Well, a slight spin on this. So Robinhood was to give access to financial markets to anyone, not just the wealthy. Um, and since Robinhood's launch in 2013, it's been quite evident that consumers find value in their product. They just IPO'd. So they've been in the news a lot recently. They just IPO'd at a $35 billion valuation. So there's definitely a product market fit there. There's a need for this. So Robinhood users during 2015, so two years after it launched, were over 80% millennial. On average, 26 years old. So as a result, founders proved out their thesis that young people were not opposed to participating in financial markets. It was just that their wealth or their access or their knowledge or the the cumbersome nature of the existing systems in place stopped them from truly being able to access investment channels. So the reason why Robinhood was so successful was because, first of all, it was building an app in the fintech space, allowing anybody to invest in anything. But also they had a very interesting business model. So Robinhood began as a platform for trading stocks and ETFs. Uh, the Robinhood platform offered this feature without charging users a commission fee, which is strange. So in response to the growing subscriber numbers, not the revenue, the company was able to raise significant amounts of money and venture capital. Let's just pause on that for a second. So what a lot of companies, not a lot, but some companies do is they'll focus on getting critical mass and they'll focus on attracting hundreds of thousands or millions of customers and then, and they will be not profitable. They will not be making money. This is something that happens in startup land. So they will not be making money. They'll be getting a lot of subscribers. Subscribers, they will usually be getting those subscribers at a discount, and then they'll be attracting venture capital money to allow them to grow. And the venture capital money is the money that is actually sustaining the company. And as the company grows, there will be a point in the company's future when they'll try and incorporate a more heavy-handed uh, revenue model so that they can become profitable. One example that you're seeing this with right now that we're actually living through is Uber. So Uber, uh, uh, originally, they basically uh, artificially lowered the prices so that they would get a ton of people, so hundreds of millions of people on the app, and now they're trying to be profitable. So if you've noticed your Uber rides are getting a little bit more expensive, well, now shareholders are asking for some sort of profitability. Um, other companies that are not profitable, if I'm not mistaken, Netflix is not profitable yet. Uber was not profitable for the longest time, and I don't even know if they are now. So this is not new, but it's something that companies do just to win business from the start, from the get-go. But regardless, 
Let's go back to Robinhood. So Robinhood has a huge growing subscriber base. They are not charging fees for these trades. They're not charging commission fees. And they derived revenue from payments for order flow. So they got rebates from market makers and trading venues. They they used those rebates as revenue, basically. Now, this was much different than the old system of collecting brokerage fees. So this business model was truly revolutionary. And to expand the company's consumer base and generate more uh, revenue streams, they did eventually add on a subscription model, which I'll talk about in a second. But for a long time, they were really disruptive because they were charging absolutely nothing. And if you think about the traditional broker that would allow you to buy stocks and trade and whatnot, they charge fees. So they charge a significant percentage on every single trade. So it costs a lot of money for an individual to buy something. So Robinhood got away with most fees. Now, in 2016, they did offer a $10 per month subscription plan, which still was way less than what a traditional broker would charge. So in 2016, they launched this uh, subscription model. They charged $10 for a monthly fee for the subscription. This would allow users to upgrade to a a quote-unquote complete Robinhood platform. And what the gold subscribers, that it was called Robinhood Gold, what the gold subscribers would get on top of just being able to trade, which already was not, there was no charge for those trades. Gold subscribers had access to professional research reports. They can trade on margin uh, and they can deposit money instantly from their trading accounts. So they added on a whole bunch of other things that brokerages usually do for still a relatively low fee. Again, very, very disruptive. Um, Now, if you actually use Robinhood, uh, it's available at a much lower price at $5 per month. So it wasn't even something they were depending on for revenue. In addition, uh, Robinhood's cash management services allowed users to have uninvested funds from their brokerage account managed by the company, offering a higher yield than most banks. So FDIC insurance is also available for accounts with managed funds of up to 1.25 million, meaning if you just had money on Robinhood and you weren't even invested in any stocks or ETFs or anything else, you could just let that money sit there and they would manage that money for you and invest it and they would give you a higher return than any bank would usually ever give you. Um, And as Robinhood grew, they started to engage in other interesting fintech ecosystems, let's call it. So they started to work with crypto. So that was the most recent product from Robinhood where they realized their target market, their audience, their subscriber cares about new age forward thinking financial tools, which cryptocurrency is obviously one of them. So they allowed their audience to invest in crypto. And that was a new financial market that most traditional brokers largely ignored. So as a result, Robinhood, again, was able to to present a new opportunity to a key demographic they cared about that was their subscriber base in a way that was non-complicated, very user-friendly, and provided a little bit of safety compared to some cryptocurrency exchanges that perhaps didn't have the same infrastructure or security behind them. So they tailor, again, to somebody who wants to get into markets, but you don't have to be a developer or somebody highly technical to use Robinhood and feel safe. For example, one thing they did, which uh, allowed people to feel a little bit more comfortable about their cryptocurrency purchases was to protect their users from drastic price changes. So Robinhood actually restricts purchases uh, to 1% and sales to 5%. Uh, This prevents orders from being executed if a cryptocurrency price radically changes over or below 5%. So of course, with safety comes limitations and some people don't like that. But for the person who isn't technical or isn't as aware of how volatile crypto markets is, this is a safety safety tool that can actually benefit them. And taking steps like this was one of the most attractive things for young investors who were just trying to
trying to learn how to invest. Again, you have a lot of young people on the platform and, and Robinhood time and time again demonstrates its ability to think like a consumer and act in a way that meets its users' evolving needs, unlike traditional brokerages or traditional investment institutions that are very, very slow to react. Now, as the platform matures, more people are using it. Of course, it's a financial tool, which means that it is under a lot of scrutiny when things don't work well. And that's something that we have to take into consideration as well as if we're talking about Robinhood's story because it wasn't all positive. So up until March of 2020, it was very positive. On March 2nd of 2020, Robinhood experienced a massive service outage on one of the most intense trading days in the history of the U.S. financial markets. The outage, unfortunately, lasted for an entire day, causing massive damage to its users. It was so bad that several uh, media outlets said that this would be the downfall of the fintech giant. However, outrage did fade and Robinhood rebounded quickly. Uh, To point to some numbers, by 2020, end of 2020, the firm uh, proved to maintain market share above 50% for all net new brokerage accounts opened in the US, which is more than all incumbent legacy brokerage firms combined. More than 3 million Robinhood accounts were opened in the first half of 2020 alone. And as Robinhood now grows and in 2021 now it's IPO'd, we also have to consider the ethical responsibility of being the incumbent, the main investment brokerage tool that now people use. So for example, we have to consider the fact that the company is obligated to its users to provide and maintain solid, consistent information for storing all the data, protecting user data, and also to monitor markets and to make sure there's uptime because people's money is invested here, as well as monitor cryptocurrencies and cryptocurrency markets. There's a lot of things that are moving that Robinhood has to keep up with, which means there has to be some smart people that are keeping up with these things and are focused on delivering the best technology and the most secure technology for one of the largest investment vehicles that now probably has like several, several, several billion dollars of assets under management and in all seriousness could be responsible for the livelihoods and retirements of many individuals. One ethical dilemma that stemmed from Robinhood's growth and massive scaling over the past couple years was that it it's giving financial power to individuals who may not understand what some of the things that it offers are. So I'll give you one story. So in 2020, Robinhood had a, an ethical issue involving the suicide of a 20-year-old man. He opened his account during the COVID pandemic. He thought he had lost over $700,000 by trading on the platform. His account showed a minus $700,000. However, after they investigated, the user had not suffered losses that size, but the Robinhood app had not included the stock's option positions. So as a result, the young man ended his life due to a misunderstanding caused by a delay in seeing the correct uh, account balance on the application. So there is controversy whether or not Robinhood is at fault in the situation. On one hand, they're opening markets and they're opening opportunity and they're giving opportunity to people that normally wouldn't have had it before. But on the other hand, with that opportunity becomes, there, there's a lot of risk involved because now you're giving people financial freedom freedom to invest as they see fit. Yet over all of this, over all of the ups and downs, the massive growth, some of the uh, regulatory concerns, some of the uh, outages, some of the ethical concerns, Robinhood has still maintained its position as one of the number one tools and instruments for people who are interested in investments. And it is continuing to grow year over year. And I do not see the user base switching to a legacy brokerage firm just because because 
because Robinhood is always focused on those three core tenets that we talked about at the beginning, that usability, the simplicity, and the affordability of the platform. And then just recently, if we fast forward to present day Robinhood, they've just IPO'd at a $35 billion valuation. So I can't see them slowing down anytime soon. Now, after this incredible success, I do want to take a second and walk through three particular things that Robinhood did well outside of all the tech and all the UI, UX, um, all the things they've navigated over their growth. There are three particular things they did extremely well when they were taking their product to market back in 2013 that are notable things that are lessons that you have to learn from this story that maybe you can apply to your own business. So there were three growth lessons from Robinhood's take-to-market strategy or take-to-market playbook that allowed it to secure over a million customers before they even had a product. And that cascaded through Robinhood's life cycle to to the $35 billion IPO. So I want to go through these three growth lessons from the Robinhood story. And I haven't spoken about these yet. So the first, when they were taking their product to market back in 2013, was FOMO. They used FOMO. They used a private beta invite only sign up list to get people to want to sign up before they even had a product. They had a landing page with a sign up with a form that allowed you to sign up for a private beta. They pushed a massive PR campaign around the private beta, which was picked up by major news outlets, cementing hundreds of thousands of initial customers before they even had a work product. And if you ever wanted to run something like this, you're setting up a website and then use something like a Newswire or a Presley or PressHunt.io to get the word out and just drive people to a private beta. FOMO works. People want to be part of something exclusive. The second thing they did was they gamified the onboarding experience. So after you signed up, Robinhood created a referral-based onboarding process that offered rewards and prizes for joining the beta. So after you signed up, you were presented with a graphic that showed how many people were on a waiting list ahead of you. Once on the waiting list, you had options to share a certain affiliate link that was unique to you that would actually move you ahead on the waiting list. So if somebody else joined the Robinhood beta by clicking your link in an email, or if you posted this on social and somebody clicked on your social post and signed up for the beta, you would be bumped up in the waiting list. So you would get there ahead of time. This led to exponential growth, numbering in the millions of subscribers before the product even went live. So not only did they have a private beta, but then they gamified the access to the private beta and allowed you to share it and create this viral loop around the private beta. And then lastly, the most important, oh, actually, you know what, one more thing on that. If you if you wanna do this yourself and you don't wanna code it, there's actually a tool that you can use that's out of the box called prefinery.com. There's probably a few more, but that's the one that I've seen work and do this for companies. You can go there, you can set up your own viral affiliate, uh, take to market private beta program, very similar to what Robinhood did. And lastly, the third thing that allowed them to get over a million customers before they even had a product was simplicity in their sign-up process. So the number one problem that companies have when they're creating any sort of sign-up or onboarding for their product or service or their hardware or whatever it is, uh, is they make it too confusing, too conflated. We're talking about the onboarding that got them a million plus customers. For this onboarding, they had that page, remember, that had that private beta access where you put in your you know, your name and your email and you got, you got pushed into this line for private beta access. That page, they removed all the text from that page, from that web page and they made the call to action as straightforward as possible on that page that they were trying to get people
people to sign up to the private beta on. They had the text that read Robinhood, $0 commission stock trading, stop paying up to $10 per trade. And then the only button they had on that page was one that said opt in to get early access. That's it. That's it said. That's all it said. There was a picture of somebody on a phone, uh, sort of like behind the text. So it was like a nice little image. But that's all the text that was on that landing page. So when people hit that landing page, there was no other option. There was no more reading about Robinhood. There was no more understanding about the team. There was no more looking at all the different features and getting distracted. It was that sentence, email capture, and a button. And that's it. And that combined with FOMO, combined with gamifying, blew up their waiting list so that they had over a million customers subscribe before they even launched a product. And then that is what kicked off this incredible story, this incredible growth story. So Robinhood has always been focused on making things as simple as possible for customers. So it only makes sense that the onboarding fell in line with that prerogative. So take some notes, that virality, gamification, FOMO, simplicity, that equals your billion dollar IPO. Anyways, that's the story of Robinhood. That's how they started. That's how they grew, scaled up, 10x, more than 10x actually, IPO'd. And I hope that gave you some inspiration for your business. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs, and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate 
on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text 
success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay.